The following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. You can turn your Bibles to 1 John 3. 1 John 3. Well, it's a blessing, isn't it, to hear the kids sing and, and uh, boy, what a... I was just thinking, listening to the kids sing, what a wonderful stewardship God has given to our church to be able to minister to these kids and point them to Christ and to teach them the, the Scriptures. That is just a, boy, such a, a massive and important part of the work that God has called us to do and is to, to influence those kids. It's such a, such a joy uh, to see them learn about the Lord and, and, uh, and see them grow and, and change and and uh, so thankful for that, and uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful gift. Uh, I, don't, I guess I didn't mention that um, we are having, have watermelon outside after the service today, so, and, and as well some of the leftover cookies. We did not, uh, you guys were very generous with your cookie donations, so we've got a lot of cookies to eat, and we've got watermelon, so hope you'll uh, uh, hang around for a little bit afterwards and enjoy some of those things, and... and uh, and that'll be good, so uh, keep all that in mind. Uh, so our text today is going to be 1 John uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 11 through 18. Uh, but of course, uh, before we get to that, though, of course, tomorrow is the 4th of July. And, uh, and when I was a kid, I, I remember uh, very distinctly just being mesmerized by the story uh, of our nation's founding and, and, and the story of the Revolutionary War and you know, sometimes when you're third and fourth grade school can get a little boring, but I, I loved uh, that part of history class and uh, learning about uh, the American Revolution. And, um, and, and, and there's lots of layers to the story, lots of fascinating layers to the story. Uh, but among them, among the best, is the willingness of our founders and those who volunteered uh, to, for the war effort to die for the sake of freedom. It's pretty incredible. And, of course, one of the most famous expressions of that zeal was Patrick Henry's speech to the Second Virginia Convention to organize, to call on Virginia to organize a militia to resist the British. And he famously concluded, Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. It's a powerful speech, and of course, many Americans went out and they really did risk their lives, and many died for the cause of freedom. You know, there's so many incredible stories. I, I think, of, for example, of George Washington and, and, uh, and his men suffering through the winter at Valley Forge. And uh, I was reading a little bit this week, they, 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 they built these very very basic rudimentary huts, and that's where they lived through the winter, and they weren't airtight. They were, I'm sure, very drafty. They weren't insulated like a modern home, and so they were cold, and many of the men did not have adequate clothing or blankets or food, and a lot of men died that winter in in those miserable, miserable conditions. And yet, the Americans pressed on. And, and they fought, they risked everything against overwhelming odds because they believed in their cause 
And they were willing to die for what that cause meant for their children, their grandchildren, and all their ancestors to follow. And, um, and, and of course, we're, we're, we're thankful for that, right? We are incredibly blessed by, by the sacrifices that they made. And, and when you think about their determination, what they sacrificed, it, it makes you wonder, am I that dedicated to anything? Like, what am I willing to sacrifice? How much sacrifice am I willing to tolerate? Our theme for this year, uh, 2022, is love one another. And this morning, I want to consider a text which calls on Christians to love each other to the point of making great sacrifices. Now, Now, we'll probably never be asked to die for each other in the church. I hope that we don't ever reach that point. But we certainly need to be ready to live for each other, to sacrifice on behalf of God's people. So, so let's read 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. God's Word says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous." Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love, he who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. I'd like to make two primary points from this passage. And the first point is in verses 11 through 15, which say that love defines God's people. Love defines God's people. So, so in other words, this passage teaches that love for the brethren is not just a, a good idea, you know, or, or a nice way to maybe get some brownie points with God or to look good among other Christian people. No, no this passage teaches that love sets us apart as God's people. It is a defining trait of the church. And John makes that point through a contrast between a worldly spirit and a Christian spirit. And so we'll talk first of all about the worldly spirit. The world is characterized by jealousy and hatred. So he makes this point uh, in verse 12. He says that we are not to be like Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And, And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now, now the story of Cain is, is pretty incredible, isn't it? Cain here uh, is, is, uh, is, of course, he's the first person who was ever born into the world, not directly created by God, uh, but but Cain never had a genuine heart for God. Never did. Now, he tried to fake it, but of course, God saw right through his act, and so when Cain became an adult, and it was time for him to bring his sacrifice to God, he brought probably quite the spread of sacrifice to the Lord. But God rejected it because Cain's heart was not for God. He did not have a heart of faith. And Cain was furious. And of course, to make matters worse, not only did God reject his sacrifice, 
But God accepted the sacrifice of his younger brother. The first sibling rivalry of all time. And and so he was mad. He He was jealous of his brother Abel that God accepted his sacrifice. And he was so filled with jealousy and hatred that he murdered his own brother. Now, obviously, that's a pretty extreme example of anger and jealousy. But while few people are ever going to sink to the level of, of, of where Cain went, jealousy and hatred are all over the place in human culture. And they always have been. Our world is so angry about everything, aren't they? We are just such an angry people. And in fact, anger is such a common characteristic in our society that we oftentimes don't think much of it. Like, yeah, people are cranky. You know, and, and we just put up with it. We, we, we don't think much of it. But, but our text says that that, that, that sort of anger and, and hatred and jealousy is not acceptable among Christians. And verse 15 says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Now, that's, that is quite a strong statement, isn't it? And you might think, now, now wait a second. And yeah, I, I've got some anger, but my anger's nowhere near at the level of something like murder. I mean, it, we're, we're talking about two totally different things, right? And, and certainly, my anger, my hatred w- would not call into question the legitimacy of my faith. But, but what's, what's John saying here? Well, well, I think John is almost certainly drawing this conclusion from two powerful statements from Jesus himself. So first of all, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. So Jesus says, in his mind, there is no significant difference between anger and murder. They come from the same place, and they are both liable to the same sort of judgment. And as well, it's interesting that, that uh, the, the word that, that John uses for, for murder in this text, it only appears one other time in the New Testament. And it's in another statement by Jesus in John eight forty four, And in this passage, uh, Jesus is, is uh, speaking with some, some Jews who were resisting him, who were uh, hostile towards his message. And he says to these people, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So, so what, what Jesus is saying there is that, that, that Satan was so angry at God at the beginning of time that, that he practically murdered Adam and Eve by deceiving them into eating the fruit. And, um, and, and what Jesus is saying there is, is, that, is that our anger, and he says of these people, you are of your father the devil. Now, now our anger doesn't generally go as far as Satan's do, did. But Jesus says that when my heart is filled with anger, hatred, and jealousy, that, that I am reflecting the spirit of Satan, not the spirit of God. And, and John says in our text 
The anger and bitterness specifically towards a fellow Christian is especially egregious. It portrays a satanic image on the church. And it seriously calls into question whether or not that person is a genuine child of God. Now, of course, the point is not that that you can't be saved and also struggle with anger. So, So many Christians, and I'll admit, including this one, struggle with anger. Anger is a hard one to avoid. I I fight it most days, and maybe you do as well. Do we get angry about certain things? Our our temper is short. But but that's not what he's talking about here. I mean, some people, we we, probably all of us to some extent struggle with anger, but, but some people don't just struggle. They are content to live lives filled with anger and bitterness and jealousy. And their heart is filled with it all the time. Now, if you're smart, you kind of know how to behave in church and how to look respectable. You, you know not to call it anger. You know, I, I've had lots of people over the years say, I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. And then they just explode. So, so we know we're not supposed to say that. But then so often, it's not hard to see that that's exactly what the case is. But, but folks, if you refuse to talk to someone, there's a brother in Christ that you, you, you won't talk to them. You avoid them. Or if you do talk to them, it's just like quick little spats. You're not going to say much at all. Or, you know, if any time someone says something good about this guy over here, you, you've got to correct them and make sure they see what's wrong with them. You know, or, or, or you just constantly rehearse in your head how so-and-so has sinned against you, how they've hurt you, and what they deserve for what they did. And you may not call it anger, but you are angry and bitter. And and do not excuse it. Don't play the role of the victim and just say, well, if you knew how they'd sinned against me, you'd be bitter too. No, anger is satanic. And it reflects his murderous spirit. And so we need to see it for what it is. We need to confess it to the Lord. And we need to forsake it. And I'd go so far as to say that, that, that if you're not willing to do so, that, then you should not take the Lord's Supper when we observe the Lord's Supper. You might need to talk to us about stepping away from ministry roles because it is that serious. Hatred and bitterness are antithetical to genuine spiritual life. So, so John is very strong here about the wickedness of this. So the world is characterized by jealousy and hatred And in contrast, he goes on to say that Christians are known for genuine love. And he begins the passage with that fact. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, now I have to think, when he mentions here a a message you've heard from the beginning, that that John is probably thinking of the words of Jesus uh, that that are our theme text for the year. So John 13, uh, 34 and 35, this is just before, just hours before the crucifixion. And Jesus tells his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So so we've talked about the fact that this is not a new commandment because the concept of of love for neighbor was was not a new thing. It goes all the way back to the law and probably well before that as well. 
So it's a new commandment in the sense that we have a new example. Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. And we also have a new context in which we are to express the love of Christ, which is in his church. So so Jesus commands us to model the sacrifice that he showed on the cross. We are to love and sacrifice for each other in the church the way Jesus sacrificed himself for us. And he promises that that will make us stand out. That will make us look very different to the world than what they are used to. That that people will see the power of Christ. They will see the life of of Christ in, in the soul of his church as we love each other the way Christ loved us. And notice, returning to our text, that that John builds on this fact in verse 14. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Now, when we think of eternal life, we tend to think exclusively of heaven, right? That that eternal life means when I die, I'm going to go be with Christ, but, but, but in this passage, and in various other passages, uh, John says that, that, that eternal life is not just something that, that we get when we die. It's, it's something that we have right now, right? So, so he says that, that you have passed right now out of death into life. And the way you know that is by your love for the brothers. So, so one of the ways you can know that you're a child of God One of the assurances that you can have that you are truly a Christian is that you love the brethren. Loving Christians is an evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and of the fact that you have life from God at work in your soul. And in contrast, he says, that if I do not love, I abide in death. So so what's all this mean for us today? Well, it means that love for God's people is vital. It is vital to the true heart of a Christian. As I said earlier, love defines God's people. So, have you ever heard someone say something like this? I love God. I just don't like the church. People say that all the time. And if someone ever says that to you, I love God, I just don't, don't like the church. Then you can lovingly say, Liar! Because God says that's not possible. If you love God, you will love his people. And if you don't love his people, you don't love God. No matter what that person might say. That the two must go together. Now, now of course, that doesn't mean that if you ever get irritated with someone who's a Christian, or or you have a spat with them, that that you immediately, oh, maybe I'm not saved, and, and, and you freak out. But, but folks, it should concern you if you don't love God's people, if you don't love being with God's people, or, or, or if conflict and hurt just seem to follow you everywhere. You know, like, ah, you know, everywhere I go, there's fires and conflict, and it must be all these people out here. You might need to look in the mirror. And on the positive side, it means that it is really important to God that we are all moving toward his people with love and generosity. And Christians should want to be together. We should enjoy each other. And and, and from there, we we just all need to be constantly working to build a loving atmosphere among us. 
You know, that, 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 that when we come into this church, when, when we get together, whether here or in other places, there is it's just a healthy, joyful, uh, uplifting spirit. It's encouraging. It's, it's helpful. You know, and we need to care well for each other and encourage each other. You know, being with the church, it should feel like being home. It should feel restful and secure because we know that we're with people who love us and care for us and who will be there for us and encourage us no matter what is ahead. So, so the first major point is that love defines God's people. And then the second major point in our text is that love manifests itself in action. Now, now notice, first of all, here in verses 16 through 18, that Christ set the ultimate example of love when he died for us on the cross. Now, now we live in a culture that loves to talk about love. You know, we, uh, there used to be, back in the old days, a whole section of this store called Blockbuster that was dedicated to romance, right? So you'd go into Blockbuster and there'd be all these movies about romance. And of course, Blockbuster's gone now. But, you know, if you go on Netflix or go on Amazon and, and look, there's massive sections of, of movies. There's a whole genre dedicated to love. So, so our culture loves to talk about love. We, we love to think about love. We're obsessed with it. But for all of our talk about love, we do a terrible job of actually practicing love. Our culture is not characterized by love. It's instead characterized by hate, violence, and betrayal. So we've got a lot of passion that we like to call love, but too often it doesn't translate into true, sacrificial love for others. And, And therefore, if you want to know love, don't go to the culture. Don't go to the latest pop song. No, instead, look at the example of Jesus. And so verse 16 says, it says, we know love by this. So this is the definition of love, that he laid down his life for us. You know, the story of Jesus' death is is truly remarkable, and and I assume that almost everyone in this room knows the story well, but, but I think it's worth just thinking about that Jesus lived an absolutely perfect life. He lived this text. He never slandered anyone. He never told a lie. He never broke a law. He always demonstrated perfect love and perfect holiness. And yet, because he spoke the truth unashamedly and boldly, that the religious elite of Israel hated him and they wanted him dead. And so they trumped up all sorts of of false charges against him and and they rallied a mob to persuade the Romans to kill Jesus. Now, you have to remember here that Jesus is Almighty God. So these Romans, they're ragdolls compared to him. I mean, at, the, at any moment, he could have snapped his fingers and, and all of it would have been over. You know, John, eight, or excuse me, John 10, verse 18, Jesus says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it again. So Jesus willingly laid down his life. Now, the big question is, is, well, why would he be willing to lay down his life in, in such a torturous fashion? I mean, why would he allow himself to be crucified? Well, well, the answer is, is that Jesus understood we have a sin problem. And our sin separates us from God. 
And so you cannot know God as your father. You cannot have a relationship with him if you are in your sin. And furthermore, it's not just that we can't have a relationship with God in our natural state. As well, God's justice demands that our sin be punished. And there is nothing that you or I or any of us as finite sinners can ever do to satisfy the justice of an infinite God. But as the perfect Son of God, Jesus could become our sacrifice. And He was able to take the punishment that I deserve in His body. And therefore, Jesus, even though Jesus perfectly understood all that He was about to endure, He allowed Himself to be cruelly beaten and bruised, and He allowed Himself to be killed on the cross. As our text says, as verse 16 says, He laid down His life for us. He made the ultimate sacrifice. And it was cruel. It was awful in every sense. And it wasn't just that He endured the physical torture of the cross. Of course, as well, He endured the wrath of holy God against our sin. And His death, we we want to emphasize, is our only hope of escaping God's judgment. So it doesn't matter how good you've been, what good things you've done, what bad things you've avoided, who your parents are, if you come from a Christian family, there, is not, there are none of those things that, that can earn you a relationship with God. No, all of us, all of us need to be saved from God's judgment. And the only way we can be saved from God's judgment is in Christ. And the Bible says you can be saved by simply receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. You just receive Him. So you just pray to God and, and acknowledge your sin that He is Acknowledge that He is Lord, that He is your Creator, that you have sinned against Him, and you believe on Him. You believe on the salvation that Jesus provided on the cross. And the Bible promises that if you do that, if you call on the Lord as your Savior, that He will forgive all of your sin. You will be placed in Christ, and you will be with Him in heaven someday. And so, if there's anyone here today that has never done that. You've never received Christ. You, you've, you, you've always thought that you have to be good enough. You've always thought that it's in you. That, then I hope that you will see this week that you will never be good enough. Actually, I had a conversation with a kid this week that this week came to that realization that he will never be good enough and trusted in Christ. And, and if you've never done that, I hope that today you will recognize it and you will just rest in Christ. And and, and if you do that, you could be saved. And so don't leave today without taking care of that if you do not know that you are in Christ and you are secure. And from there, our text teaches that this is how we know love. We know love in Christ. And Jesus expressed incredible unique love in his death on the cross so so you know life sometimes gets hard life sometimes gets extremely difficult and sometimes we look at our circumstances we look at what's going on around us and 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 we question the goodness of god but but you know we never have to doubt the love of god or the goodness of god because god proved his love in the cross it is definitive evidence of the perfect love of God. And how we ought to give thanks today 
for what Jesus did for us and for what it means for my life today and for all of eternity. Christ laid down his life for us. But, but John adds that the fact that he laid down his life for me puts a tremendous obligation on me. And that is that I am to follow his example. And, and he notes three ways that we are to follow the example of Christ. First of all, we need to love sacrificially. Now, now when you read the end of verse 16, it's a powerful statement on its own, right? So he says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Like that is a wow statement. That, that I am to be ready to lay down my life on behalf of the people in this room. But what makes it even stronger is the first part of the verse. He laid down his life for us. And in light of that, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, of course, Jesus, or excuse me, John does not mean by that that you are to die a substitutionary death for your brethren, right? Because you can't do that. And, and the chances that you would actually need to die on behalf of your brother in Christ are, are pretty small as well, all right? But, but my day-to-day life, the way I live among God's people, the way I serve God's people, should reflect the sacrificial love that Jesus so generously demonstrated on the cross. Now, now, now everyone would read that and say, yeah, that's great. Love each other the way Jesus loved me. But, but practically speaking, I mean, it's, it's not so easy, right? You know, that, that sometimes actually loving people sacrificially gets, gets sticky. You know, we get frustrated when, you know, when, when the slightest detour comes up. You know, so someone calls us or an issue comes up and, ah, oh, you know, and, and we don't want to do it. Or or we really, we pat ourselves on the back like, man, I I did something because I I gave up a couple hours. Or, you know, we spent a hundred bucks on this or that to to be a blessing. And and when there's a significant need, you know, you hear about something, an issue arises. Very often, our, our first impulse is, how do I get out of this? How can I get away from doing something? instead of just having an impulse to go and serve and be a blessing. But folks, God says that we are to love sacrificially to the point of laying down our lives. And practically speaking, that means that, that when your brother is, is under a burden, whether it's you know, some sort of physical burden, financial burden, or especially a spiritual burden, that when they're struggling under that burden, that you get under it. And you do what you can to help them bear that load. Now, sometimes those burdens are really heavy. It can be exhausting. It can be extremely painful. You know, sometimes bearing someone's burden means making that person angry at you. Because people don't always like it when you get under their burden. And sometimes getting under their burden means confronting them about sin or things that need to change. And so it's hard to love someone when they're mad at you for loving them, right? Right? And yet, that's what Jesus calls us to do. Yeah, and aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't make excuses about why the cross was too hard or why it was too much? You know, aren't you thankful that he didn't abandon you because you were hostile to him? Because that's exactly what the scriptures say that you were. 
He says in the, chap- in the next chapter over that he loved us before we loved him. When we were hostile and opposed to him, he sought us. So folks, in the same manner, we are to be ready to lay down our lives for the brothers. So love sacrificially. Secondly, love generously. So verse 17 then says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So, of course, this verse is pretty simple to follow. And it pictures a brother or sister in Christ who has some sort of legitimate need. Probably here especially a physical need. So in our day, you know, maybe they've got an important bill they can't pay, or maybe they don't have food, maybe they don't have housing. You know, it's, it's important stuff. Now, I do want to emphasize that John especially here focuses on a brother in Christ. It's obviously good to be a blessing to anyone and everyone who has a need, but, but, but this passage and others teach that our priority is always God's people. So Galatians 6, verse 10, for example, says, while we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So so verse 17 is speaking of a Christian, a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ in need. And and, and this person sees this need and has the means to meet it. Now, that doesn't mean that he's wealthy, right? That he has unlimited resources or time. But, But he has the means to meet this need. And John says that when we see that need, we can't just stand by and say, wow, stinks to be him. No, God says Christian love demands that we are generous and that we meet that need. In fact, notice the question with which he ends at the end of the verse. Like if I see a a legitimate need and, and I do not move to meet that need, He says, how does the love of God abide in him? Now, based on what we've already seen in this text, that is not an insignificant question. John is actually saying that that sort of refusal to be generous calls into question the validity of that person's faith. That's all he can mean in context. So if I'm a Scrooge, it's not just that I'm stingy, it should cause me to question, does the love of God, is the love of God even in my heart? If I don't have a heart of generosity, then do I know the Lord? Now, now that makes us uncomfortable. Because very often, we, we can be really quick to ignore needs. And, and oftentimes, we can be really good at sounding righteous in doing so. You know, so, so we, want, we don't want people to be entitled and, and we don't want them to, or we want them to learn responsibility. And, and those things are valid, right? That, that sometimes you can help someone in a way that actually hurts because you're enabling uh, sinful patterns and habits and, and you're enabling them to remain irresponsible. And, and certainly we, we have to be mindful of those things and, and those are really complicated, hard things to work through. But, but God would say that if I'm going to err, I need to err on the side of generosity. That I should be far more concerned to be a blessing than I am to make sure that no one ever takes advantage of me. And uh, our first impulse should not be to get out of helping. 
our first impulse should be to move towards people because we have a genuine heart of love. So the gospel demands that we are generous with each other. And then the third way we imitate Christ is that we love in practice. So he says in verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We would say today, talk is cheap, right? You know, we can know all the right words to say. You know, God bless you, brother. Hope you figure it out. I'll be praying for you. You know, you can have the, the, the most refined, perfect theology of, of, of love and mercy and merciful deeds, but none of it matters if we don't live it out. We must love in deed and in truth, meaning that we are loving sincerely and, and it comes out in our actual practice. So, how have you demonstrated sacrificial love to a brother or sister in Christ in, in just the last few weeks or months? You know, more, more specifically, when was the last time you made a painful sacrifice to be a blessing? I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, five bucks. You know, you walk past the kettle at Christmas at Walmart and you, you know, throw in a quarter. Now, when was the last time that, that you made a, a genuinely sacrificial act to be a blessing to someone? Now, here's a question. Do you know the people of our church well enough that you're even aware of needs that exist. You know, it's hard to live this verse if, if you are not close enough to people's lives that you actually know what's going on and you, so that you can be attentive to needs and be a blessing. So folks, God is love. And God made the ultimate, and God gave the ultimate proof of that love in the gift of Christ. Christ laid down his life for us. And, and, and we ought to see it as a wonderful privilege to be able to reflect the love that we have received in Christ to those around us. You can be a, 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 a flesh and body reflection of Jesus to the people of this church and to other brothers and sisters in Christ as you are generous and caring. And, and Jesus said in John 13, that's one of our best testimonies to the world, that the power of Christ is really among us. So, so let's invest in building strong relationships. Be ready to invest blood, sweat, and tears at a sacrificial level. I mean, let's love one another well so, so that the world will see. Those people, those people are disciples of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful text and for the challenge it offers. And, and Lord, I pray uh, for any who are here that do not know the love of Christ themselves through having received the gospel. Oh Lord, I pray that today they would repent of their sins and be born again. And for those of us that know you as Savior, God, I pray that every day we would give thanks for what Jesus has done for us and that from there we would go and, and show that love to all around us. Give us wisdom to do that well. Give us hearts of love, generosity, and sacrifice. 
Remove anger, bitterness, and hate from our hearts. And Father, make us more and more like the Savior. And so, Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that it would penetrate our hearts and change us practically in real, tangible ways this week. In Jesus' name, amen.